Anyone here like reached the level of perfect rest and I don't need any more rest? I've already, I have enough of it, don't worry, I'm fine. <laughs> right? You have to sleep for a long time to, to do that. But there is this rest that God promises in his word. So I want to ask you this question, what are the, you don't have to say it out loud, you don't have to tell your neighbor unless you want to. But what are the top three things that you worry about? The top three things. You probably don't have to think about it very long. Very, very long. Top three things that you worry about. Sickness, health, family, probably finances. The Chiefs winning today. Woohoo! Ravens. <laughs> yeah, there you go. That's right. Safety on the out out in Baltimore. Safety. Never never been to the Inner Harbor. It's a really cool place in Baltimore. Um, and then, so you think about these three things that you worry about, and then ask the question like, why do you worry about them? Like, does it really help you that much? I wonder. I mean, sometimes you should worry about things. <laughs> Got a weird growth, you should probably worry about it and go get it checked out. Like, that's built into us to do these things. But most things, worrying probably doesn't help us that much. So as we work through Hebrews, we're looking at the people that the, this Bible, this book of the Bible is written to. It was written to some Jews who had become Christians. These Christians were really, really struggling with being Christians in a Jewish society and how hard it was to continue. And this was written to them to encourage them to say, hey, it is worth it. Keep going. This was written to you as well to say, hey, it's worth it. Keep going. It's worth it to get up and get your kids ready and go to church. It's worth it to do these things. It's worth it to read the Bible. It's worth it to do all these things that the Bible tells us to do. It's worth it. Keep going. It may not feel like it at the moment, but it is worth it. And so that's the Bible. This, Bible is not, this book of the Bible is not written to you, but it is written for you to encourage you. And I pray that this is an encouragement to you today. And week four is on chapter four as we go chapter by chapter and this one is, is that we can rest in Christ. We can rest in Christ. And that should encourage us to keep going. Now, the world, if you ask them, hey, do you believe in this guy named Jesus that lived 2,000 years ago and, and, he, and he died on a cross? And most people would probably say, yes, I believe that. But the biblical definition of believing or putting your faith and trust in Jesus is not just an intellectual knowledge of Jesus. It really comes down to something else even more important and even deeper. And so Matthew has graciously agreed to be part of this illustration. Come on up, Matthew. All right, so you can come right on up here. I promise he didn't have to say anything. So, okay, you can just, just sit, stand right there. All right. So... Matthew, do you put your faith and trust in this bench? Do you put your faith in this bench that will hold you when you sit down? Yes. How do you know? 
Your faith in Jesus. All right, that's good. <laughs> but but what I what I failed to tell you is to see this little bar here. I noticed that too. It's a little little wobbly. I noticed A little wobbly. Are you sure you still um, put your faith in this little wobbly? Yeah. Are you sure? You think so? Yeah. All right, go ahead. All right. Hey, made it. All right, go ahead. You're good. I told you it was going to be easy. So when Matthew came up, one, he was putting his faith in me that I wasn't going to let him fall. When I asked him, he said, are we going to do a trust fall? But it wasn't until he actually decided to sit down that he truly believed, that he truly put his faith in this chair, that he put his full trust that this chair is going to hold him. And that's the difference when we talk about faith. Like, put your, put your faith in Jesus. We can say, oh yeah, I put my faith, I, I, be, I believe that. But it isn't until we actually fully trust and rest, we sit down and we rest in what Jesus has done for us, that's the biblical definition of faith. It's just not an intellectual thing. It's a, it's a trust, that you trust in that. And I hope that that helps you to understand the difference. In Hebrews 4, 1 through 13, I'm going to go ahead and read through this. If you need to stand up, that's fine. You need to get coffee. I'm going to go through this really quick, and then we're going to circle back through a few of the verses. Now, before we read this, I want to let you know that when I read this and I began to study this idea of rest, I thought I understood this concept, but there's so much depth to this. There's so much that I didn't understand about rest and what that means and what that means in my life. And so I was so encouraged to study this and to bring this back to you today. And I pray that it is impactful for you as it was for me. So so Hebrews 4, 1 through 13. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. Now, remember, we had learned last week that was talking about Moses, and Moses had rescued the people of Egypt and taken them across the Red Sea, and they were wondering, they were in the wilderness, and they were going to the promised land, the land that God had promised Abraham. And the Bible is saying that, hey, Jesus is above Moses, he's above Abraham, and the Bible was given this example of that when they come to the promised land, the the land that God had promised them, that Moses sent out 12 spies from each tribe, they all came back, they're all like, hey, this is too much, the people are too big, they're too strong, we can't take this land. There were two people that came back and said, no, this land is abundant, we got all these grapes, and they came back and they said, no, we have to overtake the land. But because of the unbelief, because of the lack of trust from God to to do what he told them to do, they were punished and then they wandered around in the wilderness for a long time. God did not allow them to enter. He didn't even allow Moses to enter into this new promised land. So here we are, and we picked that up. And he said, therefore, while the promise of entering his rest, this promised land still stands for all of us, Christians alike, Let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. Now, this is pretty strong, wouldn't you say? 
says that we should fear. God is serious that he wants us to rest. Verse 2, for good news came to us just as to them, as is the Israelites. But the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not unified by faith. They didn't trust God. With those who listen, for we who have believed enter that rest, as he had said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all, hopefully, I don't know if I underlined that, but he rested on the seventh day from all his works. And that's for us too, that we rest from all of our works. And again, in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest, since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. They didn't trust. Again, he appoints a certain day. Today, saying through David, so long afterward, in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua, so Joshua and Caleb were the two that remained faithful to what God had called them to do. They were the ones that led the new generation of Israelites into the promised land, into rest, into the land of milk and honey. So for if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. So you have a Sabbath rest for you. In verse 10, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested in his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive. Now remember in the first verse it said to fear. Now it's saying to strive to enter that rest. So that no one may fall. Right? All the Israelites first generation fell in the wilderness. They died. It says so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joint and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him who we must give account. See, faith requires trust. Trust. If you trust, you can be obedient. If you don't trust, you're not going to be obedient. If Matthew didn't trust me and didn't trust that bench, he would not have sat sat down on it. He wouldn't have been obedient to sit on it. Faith requires trust. Trust will allow you to rest in God, in Christ. In Genesis, God created day one, two, three, four, five, six. What did he do on day seven? He rested. Does God need to rest? No. He does not need to rest. He's not wandering around heaven, you know, pacing back and forth, worried and concerned, and all this work I have to do, even though he knows the number of hairs on your head. He knows everything that's going on in this world. God still chooses to rest. Because it's who he is. It's part of his nature. And he wants that for you. 
In the Ten Commandments, we talked about this last week, that Jesus is above Moses. He's above the Mosaic law. He came and fulfilled all the law. The most important of the law outside of Leviticus is the Ten Commandments. One of those commandments, number four, is to keep the Sabbath. Keep it holy. Observe the Sabbath. Rest on the Sabbath. Now, the Jews took that very seriously. You think about all the rules and all the laws around how not to work on that day, that Saturday in that time, the day of Sabbath. Even every seven years, they took a whole year of Sabbath. That'd be nice. We should incorporate that here, right? Every seventh year. Even back then, they allowed the soil to have a Sabbath. A year of rest. No crops. So God takes the Sabbath very, very seriously. And I ask this question, do you know which of the commandments was not mentioned not repeated in the New Testament. Commandment number four. Keep the Sabbath. Observe the Sabbath. Keep it holy. So why was number four not mentioned in the New Testament? It's not emphasized in the New Testament. And that's because Jesus is our Sabbath. We, we sang it earlier, in Christ alone. In Christ, as believers, who put your faith and trust in Jesus. You're in Christ. In Christ, is, Jesus is your Sabbath. You have a Sabbath rest all the time. There's no work to be done. The work's already done. It's done. Just as God rested on the seventh day when his work was done... Jesus, when he was done, he went and sat at the right-hand throne of God. It is done. It is finished. And now we can enter into that finished work of Jesus. And we can have a Sabbath rest every day. That's what God says. Be diligent. Be fearful. Take it seriously. Thrive to be in that rest. It's important. Hebrews 4, it teaches us all about this rest and the promise of God. In verse 1, again, it says, Therefore, while the promise... Is that highlighted? I didn't highlight that one. The promise. God's promises always hold true. They're trustworthy. God, while the promise of entering His rest still stands, it's for you and for me. It's a promise of the Lord that you can have rest. And to let us fear. Let us fear. And fear means concern or to be aware. You should be aware and you should be concerned about entering into the rest of God that he promises for us. And God knows that rest does not come naturally for you and for me. It's not a natural thing. We have to strive for it. We have to pray for it. We have to encourage one another around it. But it is serious. The Jews, uh, the culture that the Jewish people here were living in, and they grew up Jewish. They had the Mosaic Law, the Levitical Law, and all those things. They had 248 do's and 365 don't. Don't do this. 
Now, could you imagine trying to keep up with all of that? Probably a good thing they had a day of rest. <laughs> Try to rest from all of that. But they even confused and complicated the day of Sabbath. There was like so many steps you could take away from this place, or you couldn't go outside of this area. There's just all these rules around even resting. And really the law, like when you read the, the Old Testament, the, the laws, it should be a good tutor for you. A tutor that's pointing you to the need for Jesus. Right? All of the laws, like yeah, I try to follow the you know, Ten Commandments. We're all going to fall short of the glory of God. We're all going to sin. Mostly, the top line thing on the, on the law is to point you to the need for a Savior because we can't live that way. We can't do things perfectly. Try to imagine 248 do's and 365 don't do's every single day of your life just to try to live up to God's standard. Talk about work. And Jesus even called those that said they could do it hypocrites. <laughs> I mean, like, you're trying to put this on everybody else. This is a religion. He called them out. He was more angry at the religious people for trying to do this and, and trying to make everybody else do it than he was anyone else. It's the opposite of rest. It's some made-up, works-based religion. And before we get too hard on the Sadducees and the Pharisees and, and all those people, before we get too hard on them, we should probably admit we're a lot like that too. We're not all that in a cup of tea ourselves. Ask yourself next time you're doing something like serving or giving or attending church or listening to Joy FM, whatever it is, ask yourself, am I doing this to make God happy with me? Am I doing this to try and make God pleased with me? The Jews had a yearly day of atonement. They would sacrifice at the temple and it would cover all the sins for the last year of the, of the Jews, of the Israelites. Now, there were special occasions if you did something, you would offer a sacrifice at the temple. But there was this day of atonement, Yom Kippur, that, this, that there were these sacrifices that would atone for the sins of the nation of Israel. For you and for me, Jesus was the perfect sacrifice. Not to cover our sins for a year, but to cover all of our sins, to, 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 to be forever. The sins you committed yesterday, today, and tomorrow would be covered by the blood of Jesus. That you, if you've put your trust in Jesus, you're hidden in him. That, that God separates your sin as far as the east is from the west. That he blots out your sins in the book. That he remembers them no more. And when he sees you, he sees his son Jesus because you're hidden in him. So there's nothing that you need to do for God to be pleased with you. Any work that you do is fruitile. 
There's, there's nothing left to do. Jesus on the cross, he said, it is finished. I have completed the work. He screamed out to Telestai, it is done. It's almost disrespectful to God to say, I need to do something for God to be happy with me. Because we're not looking to the cross. And when we can grasp that, and we can hold on to that, and we can trust that, it brings freedom. It brings this rest that I don't need to do anything for God to be pleased with me. It's already done. I am a son and a daughter of the Most High King. It's called the gospel, the good news for a reason. And if we're not careful, we can end up being like the Pharisees. Start trying to follow these rules. I got to go to church at least 50 out of 52 times this year. God's not going to be happy with me. God tells us to gather together, but not to make him pleased with us. Because I have an overflow, an overflow of that rest, that peace, that joy, that hope that we have because of what Christ has already done for us. In Matthew 13, 10 through 15, there was this conversation that Jesus was having. about people who were come to listen to him. And they could hear him speaking, but they couldn't hear what he was saying. It wasn't getting through. And he says, blessed are those who can hear. It wasn't like they were deaf. They could hear everything he was saying, but it just wasn't sinking in. Just weren't hearing And therefore, they did not benefit. If you don't believe something, if you don't trust something, you won't be obedient to it. If you read the Bible without faith, without trust, that this is God's written word, that He loves you, He wants the best for you. As you're reading it, I have faith that this is true. Ask the Holy Spirit to speak into you, to teach you, to train you. Like If you're not reading the Bible that way, you're wasting your time. You're not trusting it. You're not putting your faith in it. This is how God speaks to us. What don't you do is make a fist and like hold it really tight. Just like, hold it. Keep holding it. Squeeze it. Getting tired yet? Is, is that resting? No, it's not resting. It's the opposite of resting. Some of us are just trying to hold on to a lot. A lot of things. Things that you even don't even have control over. The things that you think are determining your life that you can control You got to be like Elsa in Frozen, right? You know, I'll spare you singing it. Somebody said it. Let it go. <laughs> got to let it go. It's okay. 
Remember we learned on week one in Hebrews chapter one is like to be able to keep going and not give up is to understand God's will. His will is like he's going to do whatever he's going to do in this world because he's God. Yes, it is tainted by sin and bad things happen. That, is not, that was not God's design. But God is still in control. He's still on the throne. He didn't ask me, or my opinion, how I think this world should go and what he should do. Now, that was a, one of my life's biggest lessons. Like when I went off to the military and I lost all control, man, I, saw, I had a hard time. But God taught me. He's like, well, you weren't really in control anyway. I was. I am. That was a huge turning point in my walk with God. We pray God's will be done, not my will be done. And then his will is also that you would follow the commandments of Jesus and serve him in his kingdom. His kingdom would come. But that serving God is not to make you right with God or God to be pleased with you or for anyone else to think anything about you. It's, it's an overflow out of God's love and that rest that we enter into. So God's will is for you to rest. I probably should have done this in the beginning, but explain what rest even is. <laughs> but it's peace with God. Like our souls long for peace with God. To always be accepted and loved by God, no matter what. Because it is about Jesus and not about you. It's not about me. It's this freedom that I talked about earlier before we worship, this freedom to worship God, a holy God. Because we're hidden in Christ and we can freely worship Him. And it's also this rest is to enjoy the same rest God enjoys himself. God enjoys rest. He rested on the seventh day. And he invites us into that. The work of Christ is done and you can rest. He did the work for you. It's amazing that God allows us to enjoy and to experience, at least on a small level, the rest that we will experience when we enter into eternity. That will be the ultimate perfect rest. But God says, I'm going to allow you, I like guess my promise, that you can enter into that, at least on a smaller scale, that you can enter into that now here on earth. That's amazing that God allows us to do that. Like, we're going to always have sin here on earth and, and, and sin in our lives and sin in this world and brokenness and trouble, and that won't be in heaven. So it's amazing that God lets us experience that rest that we'll have in heaven here, here on earth. Rest also means that you can have peace in the storm, Right? Jesus woke up on the boat, the storm, and everyone was, everyone was all up in arms. And he's like, why are, you so, why are you so afraid? Like, I'm right here with you. Like, rest does not mean we won't have trouble. We won't have things that are going on all around us. But it means that we can rest even in the storm. 
Peace means that we are undefeatable, that we are on the winning team, that we know the ending. We know how this is going to end. Like we know that God will reign again and we are his children. Like we are undefeatable. You might be scared about being a Christian and sharing your faith or whatever it may be, but know that you are undefeatable. You are hidden in Christ and nothing this world can do to you. Undefeatable. That should give you rest. It does for me. I'm going to read a couple more verses. I'm going to wrap it up. But verse 3, and I'm going to skip down a little bit. For we who have believed enter that rest. It says, hey, if you put your trust in Jesus, you will enter that rest. Verse 8, it says, for if Joshua, we learned last, last week that Joshua was the Greek word for Jesus And there's a shadow about how Jesus brought the people into the promised land. It was a shadow of what was to come that Jesus brings us into the promised land. But anyway, verse 8. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. And verse 9. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. And I would say reading that, I would say if you have not entered into that rest... Be honest with yourself. Be honest to God. Take it to him and say, Lord, I don't have that rest. Why do I not? I want that rest. Ask God to examine you. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Jesus says, come to me. All who are heavy laden, all who are burdened and heavy laden. And it says, and, and I will give you rest. Come to me, all who are, who are heavy laden, and bur- who are burdened and heavy laden, I will give you rest. It says, and I will give you rest. It doesn't say I'll give you a list of things to do and you can rest. It says, I will give you rest. Come to me. Jesus also said, he said, if you love me, you'll follow my commandments. That's a commandment. He said, if you are not resting, come to me, and I'll give you rest. He says, if you love me, you'll do these things. Talk about trust. So I'm going to take all these things away that I've, been, that I've been trying to find rest in. Maybe if I work a little harder, I can save up for that vacation. That's finally going to give me rest. I don't know about you, but I always need a vacation after vacation. Like I'm worn out after vacation. It's like all these things we're searching for to find rest. We never find rest. It's just always right out of reach. Get a little bigger house, got to clean it more. Like whatever it is, like there's always like, I'm going to get rest in that. It's always just right out of reach. as we sing about it, in Christ alone. In Christ alone. I actually did a search in it, um, the Blue Letter Bible, and it came up 51 times in the New Testament, in Christ, in Christ. 
Acts 24, 4, Paul and him speak about faith in Christ. Romans 32, redemption that is in Christ. Romans 6, 1, to God in Christ. Romans 6, 23, Romans 8, 8, 1, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I think the Bible is trying to tell us something. There's that many times it says in Christ. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Hopefully that gives you rest. God does not condemn you if you are in Christ. In Christ. Lastly, I'm going to read this verse 10. I think this is a good summarization of the gospel. It says, For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works. As God did from his. Rested from morality, trying to make good choices, being a good person, from religion, doing all these works, to trust God, that we have rested, that we trust in Christ and what he did for us. That we rest from trusting in our own works. And I'm going to be a little vulnerable with you. It's a lot easier for me to trust God when things are going well. When the church seems like it's growing and I got a little money in the savings account, like my relationship with Amanda and I feel good and like there's nothing going on crazy in the family, like it's easy. Seems like it's easy to rest and to trust in the Lord. But when things aren't going right, that bill comes in and like, oh, I have this money saved up. <laughs> I gotta spend on this bill. Or whatever it is. When things start to go, go astray, man, it's so much harder to trust in the Lord. It's like this little bracket here is missing a little bit. You know, it's a little harder to, it's a little harder to trust. And that's where faith comes in. God will test us. And he'll test our faith. It's the whole reason why Hebrews was written. Because it is hard. It is challenging. And we need to encourage and exalt one another and be in God's word to make every effort to strive to remind ourselves that we are hidden in Christ. We must work at resting. And we must encourage each other, remind each other of the gospel of Jesus. Lastly, I'm going to read this last part, make sure this, under, this makes sense to you, is that the Bible says about the Word of God that it can, it can show us those weaknesses. It can show us those things that we're holding on to in our lives. And we can take that to the Lord and say, Lord, this is what the Word of God is telling me and teaching me. Lord, I want to confess this to you, and I, I ask that you would help me. But we, we can't do anything by ourselves. And this is what the Bible says. Verse 12, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joint and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. And so if you would be reading the Bible and asking the Lord, use your word to pierce between the soul and the spirit, and show me those things in my life that are keeping me from resting in you. 
And when God reveals those things to you, take it to him and say, hey, Lord, I see those things in my life. I'm completely unable to do these things on my own. Will you help me? And in that vulnerability is where God works. His power is made perfect in our weakness when we humble ourselves and we take it to the Lord. A lot of of ways the scripture reads us, we don't read scripture. So I ask, do you trust God to help you? Do you trust God to do something big in your life in the kingdom? Do you trust that God will do something big here at True Life Community Church? I need all of us as the body of Christ to to trust God that He's going to do something that just over the horizon may be the land of milk and honey. He may say, hey, it's yours. It's a promise of God that we can enter into that rest. But it requires all of us to put our trust in God's promise. He's only going to reward those that are obedient. And obedience is is trusting in Jesus, not ourselves. I believe God in his word. I believe that he can do some big things in all of us and in this church. And maybe you are here today, and maybe you said, hey, I was that intellectual person. I believed that Jesus, guy lived 2,000 years ago, he died. I didn't know I needed to trust him. I didn't know I needed to put all of my trust. I didn't know I needed to sit down and rest. It makes you vulnerable. You have to be humble. You have to admit you're a sinner. <laughs> a lot of times pride gets in the way to do that. That's why Jesus said, blessed are those who hear. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek, for theirs is the kingdom of God. It takes great humility and trust to admit that you are a sinner, that your only hope is the work of God's Son, Jesus, the work that he did on the cross, and that there's absolutely nothing that you can do. There's no works that you can do to make you right with God because the work has already been done in his Son, Jesus. If that's you today, I would pray that you would sit down and rest. I pray for all of us that we can enter into this rest and that we thrive for it, that we are knowledgeable that we should have it so that we can thrive for it. Let's pray. Dear Father, Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for a reminder that there is this Sabbath rest that not only we have one day a week, but we can have it every single day. Lord, we are, we are like sheep who just run away from the good shepherd. That we are sinful and we are weak.
We don't even know the rest that we have in front of us. We're just running around trying to do things to please you. So Lord, help us in our weakness to see those areas that we're not trusting in Jesus. Where we're not honoring Jesus for the work that he did. And he said it is finished. There's nothing left to do. I pray anyone here that's trying to work to be a good person or to please you, Lord, that, that falls away and that they are set free from that. And that they can enter into this rest that you promise us. Lord, I pray that that simple truth of the gospel remains in our hearts, it remains in our minds, and we encourage one another, exalt one another. To say, hey, like, it's okay. That's why Jesus died for us. Lord, help us to rest. Help us to look, put our eyes to Jesus on the cross and what he did for us. Lord, we're thankful that we can enter into rest here on earth, not just in heaven. Lord, we're trusting in you and your power of the Holy Spirit to do this work within us. And all God's people said. All right, go ahead and stand with us, please.